thank you, choir, for leading us in worship. If you have your copy of the scripture, I want to encourage you to please open it to the book of First Peter, chapter 1. This morning we'll be focusing on verses 13 through 19. As you're turning there, I do want to ask for your prayers in a specific way. Uh, yesterday evening, we did admit Emma to the hospital with a touch of pneumonia and a little bit of a urinary tract infection. Uh, good news is the doctors feel like we've caught this very early, so that's a very good thing. But just pray that this hospital stay will be brief and she will recover quickly. Uh, pray specifically uh, for Jody as she takes care of Emma. I've, I say this well, I say it as a joke, but it's very true that when it comes to the care of Emma, uh, Jody is Batman and I'm Robin. I'm just there to assist whatever Mama Bear says she needs. Um, when Emma's in the hospital, Jody won't leave. So she's there 24-7, and I know that's exhausting for her. So pray for her to have strength, um, that she will just endure, and uh, we'll feel the strength of the Lord lifting her up in that, that please do, please do. I want to um, begin this message with letting you know the direction we're going. During the month of February, we're going to be focusing on the theme of holiness. We're going to be looking at different aspects of what it means to be holy. The reason I want to pursue it during February is really twofold. Since we've just finished this series on thinking about worship, we need to recognize that one is, when one is truly worshiping and in the presence of God, their lives will be dramatically changed. They will become holy. I mean, just like a person who may be exposed to radiation begins to absorb some of that radiation, or like a, a person who lays out in the sun, may become sunburned, showing evidence they've been in the sun. So one who has been in the presence of God will reflect holiness. Because holiness becomes the overarching word to describe what makes God other. Holiness describes the actions and the qualities that make God distinct from His creation. So one cannot be in the presence of God without being impacted by holiness. So if we want to know if we are a worshiping people, the question will be, are we becoming more holy? Because if we are worshiping God, we will become more like Him. The second reason I wanted to deal with holiness in the month of February is because during this month with Valentine's Day, there's a lot of emphasis on love and what love really is. And along with that in our culture becomes this emphasis on physical intimacy. And I wanted us as a congregation to be mindful of the fact that we are to be different from the world around us in our understanding of what love is and what it means to be a holy people. So my hope is that in investigating and studying and encouraging us to be holy, we will indeed let the light of God shine around us. Because it's not easy. When we start to deal with the issue of holiness, 
we begin to face pressure. Our sinful nature will fight against us being holy. It will. It pulls the other way. Even though we have been redeemed, we are new creations in Christ, we still battle habitual actions, patterns, ways of thinking that would draw us away from God. Holiness does not come natural to us. That's why it's given as a command, as we will see in the passage that we'll read together in a few moments. So we face an inward pressure that will push us away from holiness, but we also face outward pressures that encourage us not to be holy. The world around us does not promote godliness, just in case you didn't realize that. There's nothing in the world around us that's going to encourage you to be more Christ-like. In fact, to the contrary, the patterns and the winds of this world will blow us off course when we come to being holiness, and especially as persecution begins to increase. The more and more we feel alienated from the world around us, the greater the temptation will be to mitigate that sense of isolation and alienation by conforming to the world. Because following Jesus is costly. And so if that price gets too high, our temptation will be, well, let's let's make it easier. That's why I wanted to start in 1 Peter this morning. Those whom first read... This letter, we're dealing with persecution. Now the persecution was in a variety of ways. In some areas that read this letter, it was mild. They were simply being ostracized, looked down upon. Pushed to the fringes of society as if to say, if you are a follower of Christ, you have no bearing upon our our culture. In other places, however, they were experiencing persecution to the point where they were losing jobs, Houses, their possessions being being confiscated by the Roman Empire. Not only that, they still felt the pressure that I just spoke of a moment ago, inwardly that pushes them away from Christ. So hear the words of 1 Peter 1, 13-19 that deal with this issue of holiness. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Would you pray with me now? Father, as we begin not only this message today and thinking about holiness, but as we go through this entire month, Father, I pray that this theme will be continually on our hearts and minds. That, Lord, by your Spirit, you will continually push us to ask ourselves, are we becoming more holy? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we showing the fruit of the Spirit? 
And Father, I pray that your spirit will, will encourage us where we need encouragement, that your spirit will convict us where we need conviction. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be open and soft before you so that you will redirect us and mold us that we would be more like you to your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. There are three commands in this text upon which I want to build around this morning. The commands are found in verse 13. Set your hope fully. Hope and holiness are connected. The second command is found in verse 15. Be holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. And then when we look down to verse 17, the third command is found there. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now those are the three main points that flow out of this passage. Those are the action points. Three things that we are to do. Set your hope, be holy, and also what does he say? He says to walk or conduct yourselves with fear. Now each of these are a command, meaning we need to make a choice. There's an action in this. We must understand that when it comes to holiness, holiness does not just happen. Holiness is not like justification where we are automatically justified by faith. Sanctification calls for us to be involved with God by God's power being shaped into the people God desires us to be. So holiness involves effort. Now, granted, some may say, well, pastor, when you read 1 Corinthians, they're talked about as saints already or have been sanctified, and that's true. There is an element in which by faith we are already set apart unto God. We are distinct because of His calling. Just as Nathan read earlier in Exodus, Israel, just as the church, because that passage is applied to the church, we are a, are a holy nation. So the question is, are we living up to who we are? That's where the effort comes in. He's basically saying, God has made you holy by your salvation, therefore be who you are. Fight the drift into sin and be what God has made you to be. That happens first by where you have set your hope. That's where Peter begins in this passage. Our actions are not just determined by what happened in our past or what we see as good in the immediate time in which we're dwelling, but the direction we're going will often determine how we act. Now notice where we are to set our hope, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's saying this to a people that are being persecuted, that are undergoing trials for their faith. And he says, don't set your hope in the immediate things around you. Set your hope fully, what? On the grace. In other words, at the return of Jesus, the grace that God has given us will be brought to its full manifestation. It will be complete. It will be complete in that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be complete in that this body will be transformed and the power of sin completely broken and the presence of sin gone. It will be grace complete in the sense that the wrongs we experience in this world will be righted. So he says, don't live your time hoping in things of this world that cannot deliver you. Is that a message that we, do not need, that we need to hear today? Because I look around and I wonder, where is our hope? We are recognizing quickly that to put our hope in a political system will not bring salvation. 
It will not bring encouragement. We learn quickly that putting our hope in economics will not satisfy because that hope will be up and down like a roller coaster. And we soon learn that to hope in ourselves is no hope at all because we know our weaknesses. Our hope must be set on something sure. And that hope is the return of Jesus Christ. So we live with holiness because of our hope in what he is doing. The expectation of a positive outcome gives strength to endure and to be holy even when the temptation pulls us not to be holy. Do not underestimate the power of belief in a better future. A friend of mine many years ago, almost 20, 25 years ago now, made a huge career change. He was a student minister at a Southern Baptist church. When he decided to make a change and announced his resignation that no longer would he be serving the Lord as a student minister, but he would be serving the Lord as a special agent for the FBI. Went through the training, Quantico, the whole nine yards. And I remember a year after he made that career change, I sat down with him. We were talking about things, and I said, well, tell me, what, what's it like? Tell me some cool FBI stories. He said, Mark, it's not like TV. He said, I can tell you that. He said, you ever seen on TV when the FBI puts somebody under surveillance and they're in a nice, you know, comfy hotel room and they have the earphones listening? He said, uh-uh. He said, my first surveillance happened outside of Columbus, Ohio in August where we were outside of an apartment complex trying to keep visual on two people we suspected of committing crimes across state lines. We were in a van and we could not leave that van outside of Columbus, Ohio in August. And we couldn't have the van running because it draws suspicious when there is a van in a parking lot running for eight hours. He said, there was not a dry stitch of clothing on my body. We had little electric fans that we would use to circulate the air. And we sat there for five hours just waiting with our windows cracked. But he said, Mark, I would do it all again really he says, yeah he said the people we were investigating were eventually caught and found guilty of crimes against children and because of that he said I would do it again and again and again now understand the premise there because of the outcome I'm willing to suffer because of our outcome church we are to be willing to stay focused on Christ and to live holy lives. Not because the world around us applauds. Not because it's easy. But because grace will be fully revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, there are two important things in doing that. And I want you to notice the common thread through both of these in verse 13. How do we set our hope? Notice that both of them deal with how you think. If we want to live holy lives, it must begin with our thinking. So notice where he says, prepare your minds for action. There may be a footnote in your Bible that says the Greek literally reads, girding up the loins of your mind. It actually is an image from the, the Greek world that where they would wear these robes, if they were getting ready to run or to engage in physical activity, they would pick up the hem of the robe and took up the excess in their belt. 
when I first began pastoring, I preached this passage and was trying to explain how they would tuck the excess in their belt so they could run faster. And from the pulpit, I said they would take up their X slacks so they could run. They never forgot that point. Neither were you, I hope. So what he's saying is, look at your thinking. Are there things in your way you are thinking that are preventing you from running for Christ? You see, the image of this athletic metaphor is nothing new to Paul. He talks about running the race, fighting the good fight. He says, I'm not shadow boxing. So are there elements in your thinking that keep you from engaging in living a holy life? Could it be that you only think of, of the immediate gratification of things? Could it be that your mind has not been saturated with the Scripture enough to think through what does holiness look like? You see, our mindset will determine the direction in which we go. So he starts by saying, prepare your minds. Get ready for this. That's why in Romans 12, where does he begin? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's what he gets at with the next way we set our hope. Being sober-minded. He means think clearly about things. To be sober means you're not under the control of any outside influence or agent. Sober-mindedness, when it applies spiritually, means you are being controlled by the Spirit of God in how you think through things, thinking clearly about things. We need to recognize that our enemy deals in lies. That's his currency. And all too often, our flesh is quick to buy into that currency. The lie that if you give in to this, life will be better. Satan will feed you that, that truth that says, well, if you fudge a little bit and lie a little bit here, it'll be okay. That the sin is not that bad. He says here, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. So if we want to have our hope set correctly, we start with how are we thinking? What's your thought process? Do we just react? And often that's what occurs. We don't think about what our actions should be. We simply act and react to things. Instead of prayerfully considering, what does holiness look like in this situation? How do we reflect who God is? Which leads to the next command. If we are to reflect who God is, we will be holy. But as he who called you is holy, second command, you also be holy. Now notice the standard of our holiness. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now that is not a new command. Three times in the book of Leviticus, that command is given. The people of God are, say, are taught, you be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Now remember, as we bear the name Christian, we are saying we are like Christ. Christ was like God. So if we are being like Christ, we are going to reflect God in our actions and being set apart from this world. And understand that that's not just in the negative. Often we think about holiness simply as do's and don'ts. Look at the scope of this command. In all your conduct. Now that's not just referring to the external things that we think of so often. Conduct reflects 
the character in which we display as we interact with people. That's part of our conduct. See, I'm afraid all too often we focus only on the superficial when it comes to holiness. How you dress, what music you listen, things like that. And we neglect weightier things that deal with character. Because I would remind you that God is spirit. If we are to reflect God in holiness, that means we will reflect things of the spirit such as described in Galatians 5. Peace, patience, joy, love, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's part of holiness also. So we shouldn't only ask the question, am I not doing things that I should not be doing? But am I becoming more kind, more loving, more compassionate? That's going to set us apart in this world. Earlier this week, a good friend of our family stopped by to visit with us for a little bit. It was wonderful visiting with her. She's employed at a, a local restaurant as a hostess. So she meets people, helps them to be seated, and, you know, just about what a hostess does. And she was telling us how eye-opening that experience has been. She has literally been cussed because the restaurant was overcrowded. Now think about that. Somebody was so mad that they had to wait 20 minutes. They cussed another human being. She said, it's amazing. And it's disheartening. Now, here's what I thought. I wondered, and I don't know this, but this is what, where I thought, I wonder how many of those people that become angry would even curse show up at church on Sunday morning saying, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You see, sometimes we make a distinction between church and and life everywhere else. But holiness doesn't allow us to do that. Holiness means in all of our conduct. We need to be conformed to who God is. Now, this not only means we're being conformed to God, but it also means we have to take a look at what's driving us. Notice in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, when he says former ignorance, he's talking about life before Jesus. In other words, there should be a distinction between before we knew Christ and coming to know Him. We should see growth. We should be able to say, I know I'm not perfect and just I may struggle at times with my temper, but by God's grace, I'm growing. I'm not where I was five years ago. I'm not where I was three years ago. Still work to do, yes, but I'm growing in this. And notice he says, as obedient children. This harkens us back to chapter 1, verse 3, where he talks about, according to his great mercy, he calls us to what? To be born again. He's using this imagery that we are children of God that are to reflect our Father. Now, what that also does is it prevents any sense of being holier than thou. Because that's one of the dangers is that when we focus on holiness, there can be an arrogance that pulls up in our lives that says, well, look, I'm better than that person. When we are gr grounded and rooted in the grace of God, 
we know we have no grounds to boast about our holiness. Because look up to verse 3 of chapter 1. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He caused us to be born again. Let me put it like this. On the day you were born, how much did you contribute to your birth? Do you remember thinking, oh, it's time to get out of here. I'm going to push this thing along. Literally. No. So it is with spiritual birth. It is God who has caused us to be born again. So what grounds do I have to be boastful or prideful? The only thing I have to boast in is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to holiness, I'm simply being an obedient child reflecting my Father. That's one of the beautiful things now about having, having a grandbaby is when people look at, at Kimball, who's now three months old and is absolutely beautiful. People will say, oh, I see, I see his dad's eye. He's got his dad's eyes. Oh, look, now that's how Ellen smiled. Mark, look at him. He kind of looks like you. And I say, Lord, no, 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 no. Now, if God is spirit, how do we reflect him once again? Our attitudes, actions that reflect Christ-like character. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions, the desires. Your desires will always try to push you into the mold of the world around you. Always. Once again, we stand out because the world around us says, follow your heart. Give in to your desires. And we recognize that our desires are not, in fact, most of the time, are not godly. So he says, don't be conformed. Don't let those desires pour you into the mold to shape you into anything other than Jesus Christ. Now that's a decision we have to make. To be holy. To conscientiously pursue this. That's why he gives the third command. Conduct yourselves with fear. That fear is reverence throughout the time of your exile. I say with reverence because I believe that with fear throughout the time of your exile is in reference to God. Later on in this letter, Peter will tell the church, do not be afraid of their fear. In other words, don't be intimidated by them. In other words, he says, don't fear man. But here it's clear. Conduct yourselves with reverence throughout the time of your exile. It's referencing here. Now remember, we talked about the grace to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus. But here he says, in the time of your exile, in the time when you are not home, at that place the choir sang about, Land, you're not there yet. You're in exile. So conduct yourselves with reverence toward God. Why? Look at verse 17 again. There are two truths about God we must hold to. If you call on Him as what? Father. It's continuing that theme of child. But this is a father who is no pushover. What does he do? He judges impartially each according to his deeds. He is our loving father to whom each of us will give an account. We will answer to God for our lives. Not for salvation, that is by grace. But as an account to did we pursue holiness. And it is just of God to do this. He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't. I remember learning at an early age that on Saturdays, 
whenever dad would give me a list of things to do and then he would go to do his errands, what he needed to do, I learned very quickly it is very wise to have those things done before dad gets home because there would be an accounting. Dad pulls into the driveway. Son, I thought I told you to mow the yard. What happened? I hope for your sake the lawnmower blew up. Mark, I, I left you to change the oil. That's when we could change oil at home. Did you get that done? Yes, Dad, got it changed. Good job. Good job. You see, it wasn't just to get into trouble. There, Dad would say, you did well. Good job. I'll let you eat tonight. I'm kidding. But it would go both ways. Why haven't you done what I told you? You have done it. Good job. That's a good father. Our God will judge us according to our deeds. Therefore, live with reverence toward Him. Now, that reverence is shaped by the fact knowing that we were ransomed from the ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, part of the motivation for holiness is not just that God is holy. That's enough. But he goes on here to say it's rooted in gratitude. You've been redeemed. You live separately because you've been bought out of that. Why would you want to go back into slavery of living an unholy life? When you have the freedom of holiness to be who God has made you to be. You see, one of the lies that Satan tells us is that if you live holy, it's going to be miserable. But when you live a holy life, believer, you're fulfilling the purpose for which God made you. And that gives joy. It gives gratitude. We're called to holiness. So this morning I want to ask you to take evaluation, to take stock of those three commands. Where's your hope set? Do you think fully of the grace to be revealed? Are you striving for holiness? How are you conducting yourself? I would ask you this morning to consider the grace of God. I'm not teaching works salvation, but I'm saying that a salvation that is genuine will bring about works. So this morning I ask you to look at your heart and life. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow with me now.